Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, May 20th. We've got a lot of news to cover on today's podcast as we have begun to see more and more players offer their candid opinions on the player relief funding efforts, on the role of the governing structures in tennis, the ATP, the WTA, the ITF, in those player relief funds. And I'm going to be honest, some of the opinions we've seen emerge thus far are not the opinions you would have expected to see. You know, Certainly, it would be easy, it would be popular for any player out there right now to say that they, of course, support the player relief funds that they would want to do their utmost to donate to and ensure that their fellow tennis players, their fellow professionals receive the sort of relief they need if they do indeed need it. Uh, but we've, we've heard a number of controversial opinions. Controversial might not be the right connotation there. We've heard a number of differing opinions is probably the better word there. And we're starting to hear, you know, higher level personalities, I suppose more prominent would be the better term there, more prominent personalities in the game, people who have equity, you know, state in the upper ranks of professional tennis, certainly people with uh, more financial uh, resources available to them start to offer their opinions as well. And so I want to share those opinions with you, obviously offer my thoughts on the subject. And of course, I'd be happy to hear what you all think about it as well. I also want to talk about some of the other storylines going on right now in professional tennis, some of the favorite tennis related topics I have been reading about. And of course, so many in the media right now are doing their best to ensure that all of us as tennis fans receive the sort of content that we deserve even when there aren't live results, the sort of content that will you know, further progress the conversation around tennis, whether it's a structural issue, whether it's you know, a minute thing, things that all of us tennis fans can get behind and enjoy. And so I want to offer you guys some options for you to read in your tennis media diet. Uh, and then, of course, talk about some fun stuff as well going on throughout the professional tennis world. And of course, the reason I can do that every day here on this mini break podcast is because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. And for more than 20 years, Midwest Sports has served as one of the world's premier tennis equipment suppliers. They offer a comprehensive selection of fast shipping tennis supplies that honestly few retailers can match. They also have one of the largest in-store stock inventories of tennis equipment online with tens of thousands of products available for shipping directly from their automated warehouse right to your front door. I say it all the time, their 40,000 square foot tennis warehouse. If I could move into any location, just live there, enjoy my life, I would never have to be quarantined, you know, be quarantined there, I suppose. It would be that 40,000 square foot warehouse. Imagine just having every sort of racket, every sort of string, every sort of piece of tennis clothing available at your disposal to mess around with all day. My quarantine would breeze by. And of course, you can do that virtually on their website, MidwestSports.com. You'll go on there. You'll see the sort of equipment you're interested in. And maybe you need an update. Maybe you're still playing with that wooden racket. You just couldn't get by it. You loved Ken Rosewall so much, and you still wanted to replicate him, even as the technology got better. Or maybe you're still at the, you know, the the graphite, and you, like myself, and you're ready to move on, try a more modern racket. Well, the good news is, at Midwest Sports, they value innovation, and they've personally tailored their products to highlight your skills 
on the court. And if you're not sure exactly what you need, you can turn to their well-trained staff as they are intimately familiar with tennis equipment and can help you find that perfect racket, perfect shoe, or perfect tennis clothing that is sure to put you ahead of the competition. So you're going to go to MidwestSports.com. You're going to see some stuff you like. I guarantee it there. And you're going to want to order it up to your front door. Now, do I have some good news for you? For all of you listeners out there, if you use our promo code CR15, you will get 15% off your orders at Midwest Sports. Now, of course, on top of all that, if your order exceeds $75, you'll get free two-day shipping. But then the coup de grace, they know all of us are itching to get back on the tennis court, and they want us to have the resources we need to do just that when it becomes possible. And so on top of everything else, you use that promo code CR15. They will throw in a free can of Wilson Champ Extra Duty Tennis Balls to ensure that you have all you need to get back to the tennis court whenever that may be. So go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15, let them know we sent you there, and get 15% off all of your tennis needs. All right. With that being said, let's get into the news now, because again, we continue to hear more and more. That's the biggest storyline right now, is now that these details have emerged, now that it's clear that there will be a player relief fund driven by the organizational structures in tennis, the ATP, the WTA, and of course, I mentioned yesterday, the ITF, who's not only assisting with players 100 through 500, but also trying to put together something for those players ranked in between 500 and 700. And, you know, over the past couple of weeks, there have been a lot of players who have spoken about the necessity of these player relief funds. For so many players ranked really outside the top 200, they're in the red even during a normal season with the expenses of travel and coaching and lodging and food and all of the various, you know, requirements that come with being a professional tennis player stringing as well it's not like you know these top if you're outside the top 200 300 400 it's not like you're getting all of your stringing for free it's not like they're just sending you rackets kazoo you actually have to pour in a couple of resources yourself because the money's not just not there for those players and a lot of those players have been candid and say look we are struggling right now we had the chance to talk to a bunch of them on this cracked rackets podcast but look at a guy like mitchell kruger who said yeah i'm not going to have a chance to earn income for the next three four months and you know in some locations now people can return to tennis courts so for a lot of these pros and for a lot of the players ranked outside the top 200 they'd be doing this in a normal year anyway but they can start to teach a little bit of lessons right become hitting partners for some prominent juniors in the area and earn themselves a little bit of supplemental income Uh, but without tournaments you know they've got nothing and you know we've seen various efforts from the bigger federations across the globe and even uh, the less well-resourced ones as well to try and help their local tennis players, I should say their national tennis players, uh, through this sort of time. But of course, the big story was a couple of months ago when Novak Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, who's the head of the ATP Player Council right now, sent the letter on their behalf, uh, recommended a player relief fund funded by those players who have the sort of resources where they could afford to help out their fellow uh, professionals. And it was the idea of, you know, in descending order, the top five players, I think it was something like 30000 to contribute, and, you know, all of these players in the top 100, I think, contribute at a minimum $10,000 to a relief fund. The goal was to raise about $5 million to provide additional resources uh, to uh, all of the ATP players ranked outside the top 100. And look, there's been pushback 
from many different players on that topic. There, of course, you know, when as I mentioned, people who have been candid about uh, the need for relief funds. Innis Ibu, the Algerian tennis player, her video on YouTube. I don't know how you could have seen that and not been touched, just not get emotional about the sort of circumstances her career have come within, about not having the sort of resources that even a basic tennis player in America, you know, someone who isn't training at a, at a, um, I should say, what, what's the word I'm looking for here? Training at an academy or isn't, you know, with the USTA their whole time. Um, who talks about, you know, not having that private coaching, not having a well-resourced federation to turn to. And, of course, it was so captivating, uh, such a powerful message from her. And, of course, she took the time to call out Dominic Team within the very message. You know, she said, hey, this is, you know, Dominic Team's journey looked like this. This is what my journey looked like. And so, of course, you know, Team has been a guy who's taken uh, slack from the rest of the professional tennis world, certainly from fans for his, you want, I want to say, lack of support for the player relief fund and lack of support in the sense that he just doesn't want to be mandated to say, hey, your money is going to be taken. For, you know, this is how he would frame it. Again, uh, he would say, the player relief fund is people who he doesn't know he doesn't you know feel a staked venture in their tennis games taking his prize money and taking the things he has justifiably earned throughout his career without him having a say in it him just being asked to blindly give over a check to his competitors uh, without really getting to choose how those resources are spent and where they're going to and he has concern about that Um, now again that is probably a more generous framing of his comments uh, than some may have. Uh, but Dominic Team took the time to actually respond to Ines Ibu directly in an, artic- or in an interview he did, and I don't know if the interview was with L'Equipe France, but certainly they uh, played the tra- or they had the transcript from it. And I'm going to be honest, the article's in French. And while I, je, je comprends un peu uh, de français, je ne parle pas français, uh, so I, you know, I can't really read it that well, and so you know, I have some loose translations. That, by the way, was me saying "je ne parle pas." I don't speak. Uh, je comprends un peu. I understand a little bit. You know, I'm flexing my muscles here. Hey, great shot to me. Sorry for that little French interlude. Anyways, um, you get to this article from Le Quip France, and the big headlines. You know, one of his quotes, and again, this is this is his sentiment. From Dominic Team, many players deserve to be supported, no doubt, but I want to choose who I help myself, and I don't want to be forced to give money to anyone. He goes on to say in a further quote, uh, if you start playing tennis and can train during your childhood, it is already that you benefit from a rather privileged situation. I also think that there are uh, that there are people and organizations who need more support than tennis players. And look, again, I think the argument someone would present to Dominic Team on why he's incorrect is the nature of these player relief funds and what they are doing. And it's to ensure the health of the sport from top to bottom. It's to ensure that the futures, the challengers level players who continue to try and work their way up to ascend to the top of the game where Dominic Team is can sustainably continue a professional tennis career can have some sort of resource, some sort of income this season for them to continue their efforts. Because if the lower tiers of the game become less, uh, I guess, 
prominent, less prominent is the wrong word, if they become uh, less fruitful in terms of the talent they produce, then it becomes a lower quality product for all of us. And if there are worse players, less fans will be attracted. And if less fans are attracted, then there's going to be more money taken out of your pocket, Dominic team, because the prize money is not going to be as big. The sport's not going to be as popular. The media contracts aren't going to be as big because there's just not going to be as many fans. And part of the great uh, experience of being a professional tennis fan is the fact that there are so many differing storylines, so many various personalities, so many people of different ethnicities, origins, cultures. You can go on and on and on. And there's always someone out there in professional tennis for you to relate to, for you to grapple onto in terms of their identities. And, you know, it, with uh, without player relief funds, Many of these players aren't going to be able to come back. They're not going to be able to afford to continue pursuing their dream of professional tennis. So I think if I just don't, I, and you would think Dominic Team would have had that argument presented to him, right? It's the fact that you are donating your money for the good of the sport. No one's trying to take away what you've earned. No one's trying to say, hey, you know, I don't even want to say that these players are on your back, Dominic Team, and that you're carrying the rest of the tour with your success. But certainly in an individual sport, the most successful players drive the majority of the attention that's paid to the sport uh, or receive, and, you know, they drive the popularity of it as as well. And, you know, he has a responsibility, one could argue, to ensure the health and tennis, uh, uh, the health of tennis, to ensure that the lower tiers of tennis continue to improve and receive those opportunities for the future of tennis as well, right? It's about bettering this sport, this product for the future, ensuring that the generations that follow have it better than the generations that came before because the sport continues to progress in a positive manner. Um, and to Dominic Team's credit, again, further on in this quote, he's talking about challenger players and he's Says, and again, this is uh, paraphrasing and a translation from French to English, but he says the level of players in the challengers is very high, so it is difficult to win one. He thinks that the players who compete in them should earn more money to make it profitable for them to move. I think his biggest take, and a take we heard echoed again from Matteo Berrettini in a piece I read on Reuters this week, the article, Not Player's Job to Help pro- Fellow Professionals, says Berrettini, and that is a brutal headline for Matteo Berrettini because I don't think that was exactly his point. Uh, his direct quotes, and he told them to Eurosport Italy's Calazzoni show. Uh, so I apologize if I butchered that, but that's where I'm getting this quote from. He said, I took a moment to reflect on my priorities, not because I don't respect the other players, but because I believe that no player in any kind of sports should be put in the position of helping another player financially. I think that this responsibility belongs to the federations, ITF, ATP, WTA. They are the ones who make tournaments happy, and us, the players, pay them back with our performances. They have to take care of us. The real problem is deeper. And look, you know, Berrettini goes on, we need to invest money in a different way in order to help lower-ranked players. Personally, I prefer to help other more specific causes. He says, I spoke to Djokovic, and he told me, don't worry, Matteo, the donation is not mandatory. It's something that you can agree on if you feel like it. If you prefer to buy masks for hospitals uh, like Spallanzani or helping families in need, I respect you. And he says, that's an important message. It should be spread outside of our player circle. So, if the argument for Matteo Berrettini and Dominic Team is they are giving so much money and so much of their financial stake, and of course, you know, it's still their money. They do have to make a living. And this is, you know, I feel like if you 
comment positively on Dominic on what Dominic Team or you try and you know have, explain why their argument could resonate with some. It's being perceived as I'm anti-player. Let me be clear, that is not the case, and I hope you guys, as listeners, know that through our body of works, so through the podcast we've done over the past two months, throughout this uh, quarantine period, throughout this COVID nineteen pandemic, uh, trying to focus on the financial inequalities, trying to focus on the structural issues facing professional tennis and how we can improve them to ensure that professional tennis is better, not just for fans, but for players, for tournaments, for all of the uh, staked interests in the sport, that you would know that I'm not anti-player. Um, but, you know, to, I think what Dominic Team and Matteo Berrettini are trying to say is, A, and this is the, the positive spin for themselves, is, look, we are giving money to causes. We just think there are causes our money should be going to that aren't tennis-related. We think our, our resources will be better served on the front lines with the actual hospital workers and, you know, the healthcare providers and all of the people who are on the front lines of combat this COVID pandemic. And again, I, when you're parsing arguments, how are you going to argue against that? And look at the track record. Dominic Team, Matteo Berrettini, they have given, you know, they have given it, they have donated, which again, in a time like this, it's just, one could argue it's the least we could do, uh, but they have donated some of their considerable resources to those frontline workers. They're walking the walk and talking that, you know, they're talking the talk, but they're also walking the walk is what I should have said. So you do have to give them credit there. Um, but, you know, their idea, it's A, why should we support the lower-ranked players when we never receive that sort of support ourselves? And that's a very selfish attitude. There's no denying that. It's sort of, it's, it's a me-centric answer. It's, very, it's much easier and much more popular to say, yeah, of course I want my money, to, or I want to help all of these players, and of course I will give the financial resources necessary to help uh, my fellow competitors. Uh, but there is something, too, you know, you know again, it, it, it's their... It's their hard-earned money. Matteo Berrettini is 23 years old. Yes, he had an exceptional 2020, but that was probably the first time in his life. And yeah, he was pretty good in 2019, or he had an exceptional 2019, excuse me, and he was pretty good in 2018. But he's probably finally in a position after that 2019 season where financially he feels a sense of comfort, maybe for the first time in his life. And I don't know his background, but certainly on his own earnings, he's now gotten to a point where he's probably starting to make some really good money in his life. I mean, you finish a season in the top 10, you certainly had a good year income-wise. Um, but, you know, there's concern. It's who are these? It, it, again, gets back to some of the structural issues fa- facing tennis. There's no players union. Yes, there's a players council, but how much, you know, teeth do they have in terms of their effectiveness, in terms of what they can uh, negotiate for, bargain for, and compel players and tournaments to do on behalf of the, you know, sport of tennis as a whole. And it's just, he doesn't want, you know, neither of these guys want to be, it it speaks to the structural issues in that there's no unified body. There's no one place to turn an organization or a group that, uh, instills trust in the players that they, you know, they, they feel guaranteed that their resources aren't going to be put to waste and that they will go to the max, you know, most efficient and most helpful ways and spent in the most efficient and most helpful ways possible. This again speaks to that issue. And you want to know why there's not a player's union? It's because how are you going to find a, a single body where 500 different entities with so many different interests can come together in one, uh, exact position you know the players ranked 400 to 500 are honestly their own interest group it's the same as being you know uh, this is going to be a bad example I was about to explain differing labor unions from over the years but I'm just we won't get into labor unions the point and we do get into them in other conversations I've had with like ATP CEO Mark Miles or sports business journals Brett McCormick on the great shot podcast all podcasts you should go see anyways I'm getting a little ranty here I've been talking about this subject I think now for 13 minutes the point is 
there are a lot of differing opinions. And, uh, you know, again, when it was just Dominic team, you started to think, okay, maybe he's the outlier. It's not just Dominic team. And if you're going to be critical of team, you should probably criticize all of these people. But I think it's safe. I think as of right now, as opposed to just being nakedly critical, it's best to, you know, apply a little nuance to what they're trying to say. Maybe there is a middle ground if you can ensure that the players are the ones deciding that, you know, who's getting these sorts of resources. If there's some sort of vetting process in place that you can get all of these players who are being asked to donate comfortable with, then there's an outcome, you know, there's a potential path to finding a solution here with the players donating to the player relief fund. And by the way, it's not just Berrettini and Dominic team. WTA uh, player council member, uh, I believe it was Alex Krunic, came out. Am I correct? It was Alexandra Krunic, correct, who came out, the Serbian, ranked number nine, uh, 59, told BTU in an article, and I am getting this from Kamakshi Tandon uh, in the article, ATP WTA provide player fund details, ITF to announce additional funds. You can find this article on uh, with our friends on Tennis.com, and of course, Kamakshi is one of the best in the business. Uh, but, you know, Alex Krunic, she came out and was pretty candid that the, it was the decision of the WTA Players Council. You know, none of the players on the council were in favor of extending the funds to players ranked outside of the top 500 in singles, whose expenses are typically higher than their earnings anyways. Her quote, if the money is from the Grand Slams, it should go firstly to players who pay them. If you have been 500th for a lot of years, you're going to be in the red. You have to expect that. We've all been in that position. It's the responsibility of the players to understand their positions. She goes on to say, there are players in the top 500 who will get more from this than they would a regular season. And I mean... Is that sentiment any different than Dominic Teams? Any different than Matteo Berrettini's? And over the past couple of days, I haven't seen this. And you know, this comment is relatively new, but I haven't seen uh, the the pitchforks come out. I suppose the tennis Twitter mob come after Alex Krunic because she makes a valid point. Like, how can you argue that if you are in the red already? And certainly, you know, for some of these players, you could you know, without three months of travel expenses, they may actually save more money this year than they would have otherwise. And of course, that is not. Again, I'm just speaking to the reality. This is not my thought. I think I've been very clear on my thoughts that it's on the ATP, the WTA, the ITF to coordinate these sorts of efforts and the structural effort. You know, I I think I've been in flavor of the player relief fund uh, from the beginning. And of course, if players feel comfortable and are in a place financially where they can donate and, you know, assist their fellow professional players, they absolutely should do so if if that's something they're comfortable doing. Um, But again, this, this idea of, oh, you know, every player is going to obviously be in favor of donating the hard-earned money they've had, and they're all going to be financially comfortable because they're professional athletes to just give more money to some of uh, these other players just in the spirit of cooperation and friendship in tennis. That's just not the case. And it's naive to think so. I mean, and I think this uh, quote from Alex Krunich sort of uh, epitomizes that. And again, I want to, if you want more uh, context behind all of this, be sure to go check out Kamakshi Tandon's article on tennis.com. But again, these are not unique thoughts, right? It's not just Dominic Team. It's not just Matteo Berrettini. These are sentiments that you could hear echoed across the tennis universe if you listen closely enough. Uh, but that's enough on the player really fun. Let's move on from that. That, of course, was the big topic of the day. Uh, But there are a couple of other things before we wrap today's podcast in terms of, you know, getting into some of the best things I read this week. uh, Some of you may have remembered when I discussed the fact that Egypt's Yusuf Hassam a couple of weeks ago was given a lifetime ban 
from professional tennis uh, for committing multiple match-fixing and corruption offenses. He joined his older brother Kareem in that uh, ban as well, making him the, I believe, second uh, Egyptian, or I believe the third Egyptian tennis player in the past 12 months uh, to be suspended, uh, or maybe in the past two years, I suppose, to be given a lifetime ban by the Tennis Integrity Unit, or second to get a lifetime ban, third to be fined or be given any form of ban in the past three years. And, you know, one of my favorite journalists in the business, Reem Abuleil, uh, discusses the the scandal going on right now in Egypt tennis. And, she, you know, the article piece, which you can find in the national.ae or on her Twitter feed, or on my Twitter feed, retweeted for that matter. Uh, the article, Egypt Tennis Needs to Better Educate Players If It Wants to Stop the Growing Menace of Match Fixing. And she gives the story of the Hassam brothers, how they were both promising top 20 ITF juniors who, in a quick span of time, despite ra- ascending the pro rankings fairly quickly, uh, found themselves in match fixing scandal, found themselves under question from the Tennis Integrity Unit. And she talks about the atmosphere around the Egyptian Tennis Federation, how some, uh, you know, members members of Egyptian tennis players just are, you know, blindsided by this. They hate that there will be a stereotype now that Egyptian tennis is a dirty organization, that there's, an, you know, an inherent uh, attraction for Egyptian Tennis Federation to match integrity issues. And, you know, that's certainly not the case. You know, you never want to paint a broad stroke over a couple of cases like this. But at the same time, it's quite clear that there are some issues going on right now in the Egyptian Tennis Federation. And, you know, Reem gets into all of that. She offers solutions. She talks to people within the Federation on what they want to do or what they think they should do in terms of uh, improving uh, their reputation and what they need to do to better protect their players as well and where that responsibility for these sorts of issues should lie, how uh, the entire Egyptian Tennis Federation can learn uh, from the these past couple of years. Uh, and it's just a fantastic piece. So again, I highly recommend to all of you go read it in the national.ae. Uh, what else do we have? A couple of quick things to round today. Uh, we learned from Goran Ivanisevic, I should say, that Novak Djokovic may be heading to Belgrade soon to take place in the Eastern European Championships organized by his fellow countryman Yanko Tipserovic at the at the Yanko Tipserovic Academy starting on the 15th of July. Um, then, you know, that's an interesting tidbit. I think we're all eagerly awaiting the return of Novak Djokovic, as fun as he is to watch on YouTube in the past. At a certain point, watching past matches has an expiration date so I know we're all currently itching for live tennis uh what else if I what else was good oh here's a couple other good ones the ITA announced you know yesterday was the division one men and women today it's the division two men and or ITA men and women IT regional playing awards uh congratulations to all of those athletes who received the awards and of course a little bit of scheduling I suppose some programming note for all of you next week the ITA national awards announcements presented by Oracle here's the schedule division one Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern, Division 2 Tuesday, 11 a.m., D3 Wednesday, 11, NAIA Thursday at 11, Junior College Friday at 11. All of these national award ceremonies, which will be virtual ceremonies, will be broadcasted on the ITA's Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube feed. And again, Oracle serving as the presenting sponsor of the ceremonies. We got to do, obviously, a little bit of work with the ITA this year, so you know uh, college tennis near and dear to our hearts. I will be watching all of that as the those things start to emerge. Another fun one. 
who amongst us as tennis fans haven't imagined what it's like to be Roger Federer, just to spend a day in his shoes, to be that good at tennis, to be that celebrated, to have a you know a universal approval rating close to or at 100%, just to be adored everywhere you go, no blemishes on your record. Uh, we all think about it. And Clive James of The Guardian wrote about it. His article, My Daydream of Being Roger Federer. I think it's a goofy one that all of you tennis fans can enjoy. A nice lighthearted article to get us through, you know, week 10, 11 of quarantine. Also want to give one shout out and then one last thing. A shout out to the Andy Roddick Foundation, who seriously, the work they have done throughout this pandemic has been just exceptional. They are offering daily activities online, weekly calendars with links of fun things to do for all of those parents right now looking for quick activities activities, looking for things, virtual learning for their young or, you know, uh, moderate aged, uh, young adolescents, I suppose, young children or rising adolescents. I'm 24 years old, young children, riding adolescents. I think I still am a rising adolescence. Anyways, um, you know, you can go to camp from your home with the Andy Roddick Foundation all summer long. That's a program they are setting up. So, you know, kudos to Andy Roddick as always. Uh, and for any of you listeners who find that appealing, go check that out. You can go to the A the Andy Roddick Foundation, uh, or you know, go to his Twitter feed, learn more about that as well. And then, last but not least, you know, sad to announce, Jamie Hampton, uh, who was at age 23, I believe, inside the WTA top 30. Yes, she was a WTA career high of number 24 at age 23. By that time, she had already reached the third round of the Australian Open and the U.S. Open once she reached the fourth round of the French Open. Second round at Wimbledon had not won a WTA title, but had certainly uh, uh, displayed a high level of play early in her career. And, you know, so sadly, uh, in 2014, she had to withdraw from the Australian Open with injury. Uh, She then had six surgeries over the next 18 months and had continued to try to work back uh, on tour. And unfortunately, you know, she announced yesterday, or she announced today, yesterday being Tuesday, uh, that she was, uh, you know, unfortunately just, she no longer, uh, it's just become an impossibility for her physically to continue to try and pursue a return to professional tennis. Uh, You know, she talks about she's undergone numerous surgeries in the past few years and you know unfortunately she talks about how disappointed she is but she wanted you know to say thank you to everyone who supported her career and let us know that she's ready to move forward to her next step and she's been fortunate enough to be accepted to a university she's attending classes in the fall and of course we here at Cracked Records just want to wish her a you know a successful attempt in all that she does you know Jamie Hampton being 23 in 2013 that's the peak of my tennis watching probably 2013 I'm a senior in high school getting ready to start college you know all I did that summer was watch as much tennis as possible and a couple other nefarious things as well but as all of you know my mother is a listener to the show so we'll get on into those at a different time but yeah, that, that, that's the news, again, from a busy Tuesday in the professional tennis world. Uh, if you have missed any of the other big storylines going on right now in professional tennis, be sure to check out the Mini Break podcast we've done or the GSPs, all of the podcasts over the past couple of weeks. Conversation with people like ATP CEO, former ATP CEO, I should say, Mark Miles, Sports Business Journal's Brett McCormick, the usual slew of guests, the Ben Rothenberg, John Wertheim, Paul Anacone, uh, Steve Weissman, Mark Lucero, and more. 
more. And of course, last week on the mini break, we did an ATP next gen uh, themed week as well. So a ton of great content out there for you to listen on the podcast wise, cracked interview wise. You know, I mentioned those ITA award ceremonies. We've gotten the chance to talk to a lot of nominees uh, as of late for some of those awards. People like, you know, Ashley Leahy of Pepperdine, Alexa Graham, UNC, Brianna Schwetz. Today it was Michaela Gordon for Stanford. And I mean, got a lot more in the queue as well. But to prepare yourself for that award ceremony, or if you are just a college tennis fan still looking for your fix because it would be NCAA time right now, uh, be sure to go check out our Cracked Interviews podcast. And of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to all three, the Great Shot podcast, the Cracked Interviews podcast, as well as this mini break pod. And if you haven't yet, Go check out our newest podcast, the Inside Out Podcast. It is our first narrative-based podcast here at Cracked Rackets in our first season. We tell the story of American men's tennis during the open era, and we discuss the player who, in any given season, was the best American man in tennis. I believe it's 10 episodes long. Super producer Daniel Westoff put his heart and soul into this project, as he does with everything he uh, we do here at Cracked Rackets. So please, 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 please go check that out and let us know what you think. And of course, if you've missed any of our content, be sure to go to the website crackedrackets.com. Be sure to go subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss episodes of Overserve. You don't miss episodes of CR Classics and all of the fun things we've gotten going on on there. Uh, and of course, la- uh, shout out as always to the super producers Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff for the <laughs> of an editing job they do day in, day out. It's very fun to record these podcasts, but it would never be published without their hard work behind the scenes. So shout out to them. And of course, Shout out to the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. Get 15% off all of your orders, as well as a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls as well, so that you are ready to make your return to the court whenever that may be. But with that being said, for our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.